Good morning. Welcome to all who are gathered here this morning. Equally welcome to those joining us via live stream. We unite to celebrate the gift of Christ and the joy of the season. The Spirit of God invites all to worship the Creator at this time and in our places, which dwell on Treaty 1 territory, the ancestral lands of the Métis Nation, the Dakota, the Cree, Oje Cree, Dene, Haudenosaunee, and Anishinaabe. For the life of the congregation this morning, there's a few things I want to highlight from the bulletin. Um, first of all, we want to give condolences to Tina Rempel on the passing of her son-in-law, Brian Patrick. He was also a nephew to Eva Unger. On the flip side, not in the bulletin, we want to give congratulations to Gary and Heidi Bergman on the birth of Annalie Margaret Bergman. She was born this week. Um, she and mom are home and doing well. And then just a few upcoming events. Uh, Tuesday, again, there will be uh, evening service. This one is the um, option A service, and so there's no vaccine cards being checked. However, there is a cap of 25 people. So for that one, you do need to call in ahead of time to RSVP. And then the other one is the Christmas Eve service. There will be a service at 7 p.m. on December 24th. And for that one, it is option B, so vaccine cards will be checked. However, um, we're still asking you to RSVP because the cap will be 200 people. We listen. 
Isaiah 12, 1 to 3. In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord alone is my strength and my defense. The Lord has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The Confession and Assurance this morning. Even our wildest imaginations cannot grasp the immense beauty of God. This is a true confession. We are small. God is bigger. We will never fully know, but we are fully known. We catch glimpses of God's magnificence, and we accept that it is only that, a glimpse. God invites us to accept our smallness while we join the awesome song of God's joy. Today, instead of the usual words of confession, we are invited to be immersed and covered in song. Isaiah 12, 4-6. In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim their name. Make known among the nations what they have done, and proclaim that their name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for they have done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. light a candle of joy, and we imagine. We light the candle and join in God's song, singing loudly, singing fiercely, singing together. Let us sing, light three candles once all together and then as a round song. That side will sing with Jerry, this side will sing with me, two times through. to invite the children for a puppet show.
kids, we've lit three candles so far, and do you know what that means? It's third advent. Christmas Day is only 13 days away. Let's see if Finn knows how close we are to Christmas. Ready to call Finn out? Let's go. One, two, three. Finn the Dragon! Oh! There we go. Hi, Penny. Hi, kids. Hi, Finn. Do you know what day it is? You bet. It's the day the Winnipeg Blue Bombers win the Grey Cup. Woo! Finn, I know you're excited about the game today, but we have to remember that there are fans of other teams mm -hmm. here, and we need to be respectful of them too. Oh, of course, Penny. I am very respectful. That's why I will respectfully say good luck next year, Ryder fans. Finn! <laughs> what? Okay, I'll stop now. For real. Or at least until the end of the puppet show where there's probably one more good zinger coming. Thanks, Finn. But hey, the Great Cup reminds me about the gospel story today. Come on, Penny. How can a football game remind you of the gospel lesson? Well, remember the story we told last week? Yep. Mary and Joseph are expecting a baby, and while they're a little scared, they are probably going to do just fine. Right. But do you know what happens next? Nope. Right before the baby comes, they have to go on a trip. Kind of like the Blue Bombers took a trip to Hamilton this week. Penny, that was the connection to the gospel story? That the Bombers went on a trip and Mary went on a trip? Oh boy, you're, that's a reach, but okay. Mary went on a trip while pregnant? Did she at least fly or drive in a cushy car? Nope. They walked and maybe took a donkey. What? A donkey? Unbelievable. That Mary is like all of your moms and just incredible. She really is. But the next part shows how she is even more amazing, Finn. More amazing than riding a donkey while Nalanmine's pregnant? Impossible! Nope, it's true. When it was time for the baby to come, there wasn't a room for them at a hotel or an Airbnb. So Mary had the baby out back, maybe even in a barn or a shed, and laid the new baby in a manger. Whoa, what a story! When I was born, my mom did what all dragon moms do. She put me in a nest of tree branches and fed me with dead mice. Which sounds a lot nicer than with Jesus God in a barn with some live animals. You can't even snack on those. But hey, where was Joseph in all of this? Well, we're not exactly sure. His role here didn't make it into the Bible, mm. but it's safe to assume that he either nailed it as a dad, welcoming his baby to the world, or he fainted in the corner and was completely useless. Or maybe somewhere in between. But the real hero of the story here is Mary. Yeah, you're right. She sure does sound amazing. Hey, Penny, do you think that Mary sang a lullaby to the new baby Jesus? Well, she might have sung a line or two from a poem she wrote earlier about how this baby Jesus was going to scatter the proud, fill the hungry with good things, and bring down rulers from their thrones. Or maybe she sang a song about how the cows were mooing and the baby woke up but didn't cry? I don't know. Maybe she sang both? Oh. This story just keeps getting better the more I learn about it. Babies born in mangers, babies bringing down rulers from their thrones, cows mooing or lowing. <laughs> it's got everything. This is just great. I know, right? And the best part is that the story isn't even over yet. What? It's not over yet? What happens next? Well, Finn, for that, you'll have to wait until next week. Oh, kind of like how the Rough Riders will have to wait till next season to play again? Exactly, Finn. Exactly. <laughs> All right, kids. See you next week. You can go back to your parents now. Bye! Bye.
In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken for the whole uh, Roman world. This was the first census to be taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their hometown to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to become his wife and was pregnant. She, while they were there, it was time for the baby to come, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Kenosis, Self-Emptying, by Lucy Shaw. In sleep, his infant mouth works in and out. He is so new, his silk skin has not yet been roughed by plain and wooden beam, nor, so far, has he had to deal with human doubt. He is in a dream of nipple found, of blue-white milk, of curving skin, and pulsing in his ear the inner throb of a warm heart's repeated sound. His only memories float from fluid space, so new. He has not pounded nails, hung a door, broken bread, felt rebuff, bent to the lash, wept for the sad heart of the human race.
All of us have likely at times had sights or events taken in that just felt too big to take in. Times when we may have been overwhelmed by things that we travel to see, like, I don't know, visiting Saskatchewan, for example. On the trip that I mentioned the other day with my brother, I mentioned that, uh, or maybe I didn't, but we had a trip, we took a trip together, and we hiked along the massive peaks of the Himalayas of Nepal. We spent days on mountain trails, and while we inched closer to those peaks, they were so massive that after days of walking, it seemed like we were still in the shadow of the same one. They hadn't moved, and neither had we. They were immense. Staggering planets of rock and snow and ice with no apparent beginning in the rippling foothills is seemingly as big as our mountains. They were massive, no end as they stretched upwards into the clouds. Believed to be 30 million years old, they have in one form or another been there for a long, long time. In the face of them, or in the presence of their immensity, I felt wonderfully insignificant. In the presence of immensity, I, immensity, I didn't even really exist during those days. It seemed as if only they did. You may have had similar moments or experiences. Maybe an impassable gap in the earth, like the, the Grand Canyon. Endless ocean on a cruise that you've taken. Not sure what you've all seen even if it was only Saskatchewan? Well, there too you could luck out over kilometers of endless empty prairie, and at night when it's clear you could gaze up at stars 40 trillion kilometers away. Immensity. We followed a couple of stories in the first weeks of Advent, stories which feel, apart from the presence of angels and visions, much smaller and ordinary in comparison. The first was about Mary not being afraid to say yes to an angel. The second was about Joseph saying yes to taking Mary as his wife despite the unusual pregnancy news. Two people's interactions with life-changing moments. They could be our stories in some ways. And this week, early, because we're still two weeks from Christmas, we move from our stories, those stories, to God's story. God's song, as we spoke of in the call to worship. God's story, our story, is the title of a book written for faith exploration classes. Liking the book, I particularly like the title, which implies God's story being the one from which ours are lived. Kind of like the giant underground aquifer that that, uh, exists underneath where we are, and Steinbeck pulls its weakly, small dribble of water from the immense water that lives and uh, resides underneath us. Mary, living her story, said yes. Joseph did as well. Today in God's story, though, what we heard, Mary and Joseph don't say anything. Only God does. Loudly, I'd say. And yet, 2,000 years removed, maybe not always loud enough for us to hear. After all, we're in a different age. An age, for example, where historicity is important and the credibility of stories, ancient stories, scriptural stories, has been wondered about and placed under the criteria of believability. For example, in the time of Caesar Augustus, a decree was issued that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Well, was there a census at that time that actually precipitated Joseph and Mary's journey? And would Joseph even have had to go to Bethlehem if there was a census? It's not all that clear, given historical records. And even plausibility. Joseph went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was not married, and who was expecting a child. She had earlier declared herself a virgin, and in last week's story, we heard that Joseph did not have a sexual relationship with her until after Jesus was born. Really? We might doubt that. Biologically, though I don't know that from an exhaustive search of every living thing on the planet, that doesn't really happen. Following science, a buzz term that we've become very accustomed to saying and hearing recently, we know what can and cannot happen, and we kind of know that this 
can't. So, this event, surrounded by stories of shepherds and angels, an eventual star and magi, writes pastor and theologian Frederick Buchner, could smack of make-believe pathetically out of place in the real scientific world of discovery and climate change, space exploration, globalization, and medical wizardry. And, even if we speak of it spiritually, religiously, as God's story, is it comprehensible that God as other, spirit with no body, all-knowing, all places, everywhere, all-powerful, is now found in one place, in one body, one life, becoming human, becoming us. For those who don't believe in God, or God as personal, kind of an absurd or cute little story. Even for those of us who do believe the story, among whom I name myself, it's at once both preposterous and holy, leaving our attempts to share it both genuine and yet so very lacking. But we try. We want to hear the story. We want to hear the song, as we said at the beginning. So what are we trying to say exactly? Why do we want to tell it? As Enid and I were driving, coming home from Winnipeg this past week, I asked her the same question that I'd asked the Stories with Seniors group last week. That was, what would you preach if you were preaching this story? Enid asked, well, what are you going to do with it? Well, I'm going to tell this part of the story as God's story, I said. God's immensity becoming us. So what, she said. I mean, she didn't mean so what. She said, that's all you've got? That's the problem, I said. I don't quite know. It's always a bit of a struggle when something feels too big to tell. So then she told me about a Brené Brown book that she's currently been reading. Brown speaks of her research revealing a common thread that resilient people share. That being a deep spirituality, not always religious necessarily, which allows them to see life as bigger and greater than simply they themselves. For resilient people, and I'd suggest that hope characterizes resilient people, life rests in connection, placing themselves into the loving and compassionate hands of something, someone beyond themselves, something and someone greater and bigger. Why does our immense God becoming small matter? Why do we want to tell the story and believe it, even if sometimes badly? Maybe because, consciously or not, we are longing for hope. We are longing to hope and to be resilient. And for that, we need bigness. We need connection that, that dwarfs us, that pulls us out of ourselves. The story we tell was told and has been told over centuries by a people with hope and trust that an immense, powerful God cared for them. It was a deep hope because it was collective as well as individual, undergirding them through all the happenings that seemed to defy hope and even the hope in the God in who they've hoped. A hope strong enough to lead them to believe, to help them believe that God could and would become individual, time-bound, intimate, dependent, and vulnerable among them, to nurse them, God would first be nursed by them. In the song Descent, Steve Bell sings that God, not choosing to be immune to pain and death, was born and died. Driven by love and compassion, wanted to be made immensely ordinary and weak so as to be strong to save. To put our hope that we, to meet our hope that we, our lives, will be saved. Hope. I don't know where or why you need hope. How you're maintaining hope if it's hard, or how maybe you've already lost it. Now we have to begin here on a lighter note. I did wear this. Kyle told me this morning, ooh, it's hard to have an enemy when you keep wearing shirts like that. It's probably true. 
I'm not sure that you, how you're hoping for today or what you were hoping for two years ago when the Bombers won, but I have to tell the story of, of uh, Terry Fry. I remember two years ago that Terry was saying, you know, I just would wish that once in my lifetime the Bombers would win the cup again. How, and they were playing the Riders that year. How could I have hoped against that, right? That was Terry's hope, and wouldn't you know it, the Bombers won. I'm not sure if the Lord had anything to do with that, but that was Terry's hope. Now, I want to just extend this a little bit further. I know I'm sort of uh, regressing or digressing, but um, I look at it also mathematically just to put the Bomber victories in particular place. Um, there are nine teams in the CFL, usually. The Bombers didn't win for 30 years. So, for example, if every team should win at least once in the round of the teams, every team hopes their fans do that they will win once in whatever, you know, let me explain again. There are nine teams, so every team would like to think that once in nine years their team would win, correct? Okay, so in, let's say, another league like the NHL, there are 30 teams or so or more or less. So if they would hope that every year one of their teams would win, that would be 30 years between championships. So in the CFL, if you don't win for 30 years, that means you missed out on three and a half cycles. So that means you probably, it's kind of like losing for 90 or 100 years in the terms of any other league. So for that very reason, I could hope that maybe the Bombers would even win today. You deserve it after a hundred years. <laughs> and can I hope that for the Rough Riders? That's probably too much to hope for. <laughs> can we get back on track? Individually, your hopes. Hope that irreconcilable differences in a close relationship maybe aren't irreconcilable. Hope that your own failures, our own failures and weaknesses and sin will maybe someday be overcome. Hope that discrimination against us or our families will end. Hope that we will get well if we aren't or that family members will. Many other hopes. Collectively, hope in a pandemic that seems to take away all hope from us in many ways, even still. Hope for a future as climate change alters the planet that you as young people are going to be living in for many more years than I am. Hope for refugees when we read news stories about them hoping to make journeys to find life and they often end in death. Many other hopes. Without giving answers too simple, if you are looking for hope, regardless of what's repressing it, hear today's story. God's story is giving hope and wanting you, wanting us to find it. And hear it in three ways as God tells us the story. Number one, God's story tells us of God's strong enough to save with immense capacity to enter all things and immense desire to do so. While not always evidenced, Hope and faith lead us to believe that God is able to work, to hold us, even when all seems contrary, maybe all seems even lost. To we in a scientific age, while not denying science, tell this hopeful story of God's strength and will to save. Secondly, God's story is immensely long. Don't discard your hopes for God's life-giving presence on the evidence of a bad month, a bad year, or even a bad decade. See yourself in a long story. And now I say this as one with very little experience with a long-term struggle. I admit that, so I say it carefully and admittedly with a lot of naivete. But hope is nurtured by believing that the story is never over. In our conflicted realities and difficult lives, from children struggling in school, to young adults struggling with marriage and life, to middle-agers struggling with careers, to my age asking if we can still change and whether we matter, to the aged wondering about how long they're going to live and how well. Tell this long and hopeful story. It's not over yet.
And finally, God's story is immensely broad. Life is about more than you. It's about more than me. It's about more than our small we's. It's about everyone and everything. To hope is to connect ourselves to a bigger collective, a bigger tribe than only mine. It is to live beyond individual disappointments so as to embrace collective disappointment. And at the same time, knowing that God is always bringing life to someone, somewhere, in some place, at some time, to live in collective joy, not only individual. To ourselves, when we think life is about us and our small we's, tell this hopeful story of its breadth and our life connected to all people and all things. As you do, may you find hope. O come, O come, Emmanuel, in your immensity becoming small, to make our small worlds more immense, and in doing so, bringing us hope. Amen. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. The Lord will take great delight in you. In their love they will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Take a minute to ponder and experience what that really means. God rejoicing over you. Now take a moment to pray for someone in the congregation. Pray specifically that they will feel God's song envelop them. Finally, pray for someone in your community that they too would experience God rejoicing over them.
Creator God, as you rejoice over us, we turn our faces to you. We come, offering up our time, our talents, and our gifts. They may not be frankincense or myrrh, but we give what we have as a fragrant offering to you. Amen. Sing and sing, and when you cannot raise a note of, note of song, the rocks will cry out. And when the echoing stones go still, in the dangerous crevice that is your heart, if you lie still, there remains an altar, a way to enter an awesome holiness, a lush and delicate calm.